family. Good to see you this morning. My name is Taryn Howe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. So grateful that you're here with us. Welcome everyone online. Talking to you. Glad you are here too. And I want to say a big welcome to all of our first-time guests. First City, can you give our first-time guests just a big round of applause? Big welcome. Yes. Yes, thank you. We are so glad that you are here with us. Today, we're in the middle of a uh, series, not in the middle. I'm kidding. We're at the very end. This is the last week because next week we go into 21 days of prayer. Uh, But this is the last week and we've got a a special guest speaker for you this morning. Now, it's not really a guest of First City because he's been here longer than I've been here even. And I've been here for a decade now. So he's been here for a while, but uh, someone who doesn't normally get up and speak, he has before. But I want to tell you something about him before he gets up. Seth uh, is just somebody that I get to meet with. About once every week or every other week, probably about that, and I tell you, when I look at somebody who is the age of Seth, one of my thoughts in meeting with him almost every time is, I wish I had a passion and a zeal and a love for the Lord the way that he does, you know, whenever I was at his age. And it's something that's so contagious. This is why we're like, you need to go serve in our student ministry. So he's hanging out with all the high school guys, and he helps lead them in a small group and does an incredible job. So I'm very honored that he is uh, asked to speak, and we asked him really to speak uh, this morning. And so this is what I want you to do, uh, just to prepare you and what to do whenever there's a new person here So to speak. Uh, we want to just show them some love from First City. So, uh, you know, if he tells a joke, just laugh at it, even if you don't think it's funny. Just, well, you know, maybe not over the top, because he'll know, like, this one's, they're faking it, you know. But make sure, throw in a couple extra amens every now and then. Just encourage him in this, because we want to be a church that raises up the next generation of leaders. And we want to do this very intentionally, and so we give opportunity, and we love to celebrate this. So uh, go ahead and give Seth a big round of applause. Seth, come on up here. Come on, you got to move a little further. There you go. So I want to just ask that you'll do this with me as he's uh, getting ready to speak, but right before he does, if you'll just bow your heads, we just want to pray over him and the message for today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Seth. I thank you for his heart and his passion for you. I pray that it be contagious to those listening. And God, ultimately, I know this is what he wants, that your words would be spoken, that His words wouldn't even get in the way of it, but that when people are listening, they would hear more about who Jesus is. They would fall more in love with you. They would desire to obey you more and to form a greater relationship with you, Lord. I thank you for Seth's willingness to speak. I pray you give him peace and boldness in the word and in the message, and that we listening would be like the fertile soil, that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have in store. Thank you for all that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello. My name is Seth. As uh, Taryn told you, and my heart is about to come out of my mouth right now. I am very nervous. I haven't done this in two years, and it doesn't go away. So it's definitely much different than speaking in front of a bunch of children on, uh, <laughs> on Wednesday nights. Where it's like if I mess up, you know, it's, it's no big deal. But, you know, whatever. So... Um, obviously, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to speak to y'all this morning. Uh, I'm very honored that Taryn and Pastor Rick, you know, asked me to do this. I just went in one morning, meet with Taryn, like usual, you know, talk about all my problems in life and about how God, what God has to say about them. And Taryn goes, hey, Seth, do you want to preach uh, at the end of the 
the parables lessons. So, and I go, sure, only if you want me to. I don't want to force myself onto the stage by any means. So, uh, again, very thankful for them. So, um, what I'm going to start us off today actually is a video that is going to prepare us for the lesson. It's a funny video. It has me in the video doing something dumb. And um, it, you, you guys will just get a laugh out of it for sure. I always get a laugh out of it whenever I'm feeling down. I'm like, let me go watch this video about me doing something stupid. Um, and so do you all have the video to put on screen? So we're just going to watch it. I'll explain afterwards. Just, just go ahead. Just, just watch this. Just, it's me weightlifting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that part was easy. The other one was like, I forgot I talked. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, as you can see, I'm alive at the end of it, and I'm laughing about it. You know, I think my pride was more hurt than my actual body after uh, I got done with that. So some of y'all may know, some of y'all may not know, I absolutely love the gym and weightlifting. I may not be very good at it, but I love it. And um, so <laughs> I... I even got a degree in it. I have a degree in exercise science. So it's just been a big part of my life since high school. And this movement that I was doing was called the clean and jerk. If some of y'all don't know, it's an Olympic weightlifting movement. You start down here, you go up your shoulders, and you split. So it's a very technical movement. And I always like to think of myself as knowing what I'm doing in the gym because I'm there often. Like, I'm the big man in here. You're looking at me and like, what's wrong with you? So, um... I like to think that I have it all together, and this day I just went a little bit too far, and you, you saw what happened. But the thing is, it's not just in the gym where I try to act like I have it all together. It's in many facets of my life where I try to act it like I have it all together, whether that's with my family, with my friends, at school, whenever I'm in school, or at work, or even spiritually with the high school and middle school kids. You know, I want to be that rock that they can lean on and that person that they can look up to but oftentimes, whenever I actually don't have it all together, it, it kills me on the inside wherever I'm trying to put on this mask and this facade that I am this person who just knows what he's doing. But I think a lot of us can end up doing that, whether that's on social media nowadays, whether that's at work or with your friends, with your family, like I just said. And then as reiterating, we do this spiritually in the church. We don't want people to know that we're all messed up on the inside. We don't want people to know that we're struggling with certain things. But that's why we come here, right? That's the point, to see what God has to say about it. So that's going to be the main message today and what we're speaking about. So if y'all could just open up with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verses 12 through 17. This is the clearing of the temple. I have this clicker. Ah. So, of course, Jesus had just come into Jerusalem. This is right after Palm Sunday. He's, he's coming in, um, and Jesus enters the temple. So we have this, the temple in Jerusalem, right? It's, you walk up to it, and you look at it, and you go, wow, this is a holy place. This is a place of worship. This is a place where people come for prayer. This has got to have some good stuff on the inside of it. But the thing is, as you read, starting in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children? Oh, wait. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So you think that this holy temple is going to have all this worship, this praise, this spending time with God on the inside, but then you walk in, and it's just a big marketplace. It's all these people selling their products, all these people pursuing money, greed, and selfish desires. It's not being used for its proper purpose whatsoever. But Jesus comes in, he clears out the temple, he fixes this problem, but it's just the fact of it gave off this appearance of being something holy, but on the inside, it truly wasn't. And then even later on in chapter 21, right after that, we see Jesus approaching this fig tree. I keep on forgetting I have this thing. Um, so in verses 18 through 22, we see Jesus approaching this fig tree. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So, with the deal with the fig tree is whenever a fig tree is in leaf, it's also supposed to be producing fruit. So Jesus was hungry on his way back from Bethany into Jerusalem, expecting to find fruit on this fig tree that was in leaf, right? It had nothing on it but leaves. So it was giving off the false appearance that it was bearing fruit, but when Jesus approached it and looked at it, it had no fruit to show. So we see two instances in which we have the temple not being used for its proper purpose, giving off a holy appearance on the outside of being the temple. And then we have the fig tree giving off the appearance of producing fruit but having no fruit to actually show for all the leaves and beautifulness that it has on the outside. And actually, a quick little history lesson of the Bible. You can see this in Jeremiah 24. There's actually a big symbolic relationship between a fig tree and the nation of Israel. Oftentimes, uh, Israel is referred to as the fruit of fig tree or fig tree in general in the Old Testament. So this is very, um, this is very symbolic whenever Jesus cursed this fig tree and saw no fruit. Because as we can see, as he approached the temple, he's looking at this temple and he's expecting to find fruit on the inside. There is no fruit. And then whenever Jesus approached the fig tree, he's looking for fruit. There is no fruit. He curses the fig tree. And then later on, after Jesus' resurrection, we also see that the city of Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is also destroyed. So it's very symbolic in this relationship between Israel and the fruit tree. But nonetheless, our lesson is not about fruit trees and temples. It is about a parable. So this just culminates and sets us up for our parable that we're covering today, which is also in the same chapter, so you don't have to do a lot of turning around today. Uh, so it is going to be in the same chapter in verses 28 through 32 later on. And this is the parable of the two sons. So you may have heard of this one before. You may have not heard this one before. It's not a super well-known parable. I mean, it is if you've read your Bible a lot. But like, um, 
it's not one of the ones like the prodigal son or the two servants or anything like that. It's just, you know, parable of two sons. It's short, simple, sweet, to the point. That's why I chose it. So um, <laughs> he's speaking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have just questioned his authority. Um, so, you know, he's speaking to these hypocrites, as he calls them, all throughout the New Testament. And these people of the religious law, you know, perfect orators of the law, uh, he asked them, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. So that's pretty heavy, talking to the Pharisees. And the thing is, what I love about every time Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the parable, you know, they always give them the right answer. Oh, well, this person did what was right. But the thing is, Jesus is always talking about them, and I don't know. I just think it's funny, and, you know, they know all the right answers and things to say, but they don't actually do them. Um, also, this one, I just thought of my mom whenever I said, uh, reading in the second son, it said, I will, but he doesn't go and do his chores. I can't tell you the amount of times my mom has told me, son, unload the dishwasher, son, wash your clothes. Yeah, mom, I'll do it before you get home, you know. She gets home, I didn't do it, and uh, she was very angry, I can say. But, you know, she's a wonderful woman, and uh, <laughs> I deserved all the wooden spoon spankings that I got. So, as we're, as we're looking at this, this parable, Jesus, you know, he is very straightforward. He says, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes in this parable are the first son. The first son that said, I will not go, but then they went and did the work of their father. So... The tax collectors and the prostitutes said no, indulged in their sin, indulged in their ways and the desires of this world, but then they realized there's something better. This is obeying my father, and they went and did it. And then the Pharisees are the second son, the son that says, I will do it. They said all the right things. They get dressed up all nice and pretty and, you know, acted like they were better than everyone, but then they just didn't go and do it. On the inside, they were just dead. There was nothing there promoting a relationship with Christ. So the difference between the two in Jesus' explanation is said the tax collectors and the prostitutes repented and believed because he says, even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. As we can see from this, this means the tax collectors and prostitutes did repent and believe him. So they saw their need for a Lord and a Savior to come into their lives and fix all the sin and brokenness that was inside of them, and the Pharisees did not. Now, which one do we want to be in this parable? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I would want to be the tax collectors and the prostitutes, right? The one who, I know, that's like, <laughs> that's, that's the thing, and that's exactly what I'm getting at is, well, hang on. I don't want to be a tax collector or a prostitute. I don't want to be either of those because their sin is worse than mine. That's maybe what we're thinking. We're not as bad as them. But once we start thinking that, that's when we become like the Pharisee. The Pharisees 
always thought of themselves as higher and above everyone else back then because they were, again, the elite religious sect, the perfect orators of the Mosaic law and the oral law. So we become the Pharisees more often than we think in life. We become the Pharisees once we start worrying so much about what we look like on the outside. We start worrying so much about what people think of us. And then, like I just said, whenever we start going, well, my sin's not as bad as this murderer that's in prison. My sin's not as bad as this prostitute that's on the streets. My sin isn't as bad as this thief that just stole a million dollars from the bank. It's our sin is just as bad as theirs, but that's why we need a savior. And that's what the tax collectors and the prostitutes realized. And that's what the Pharisees did not realize. Um, and we even see this in Matthew chapter 23. This isn't on, in the notes, so if you want to turn to this, you can. But it's in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 26. Jesus is getting after these Pharisees right here. I mean, I think his cap just blew off at this point, and he just you know, just went in on them. So he is saying to these Pharisees, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So they're so worried about this holy persona that they're giving off to these people. And the inside of them is just filthy. So it's like an actual cup. So imagine if you had an actual cup. And the outside was clean, but the inside was just, like, full of insects and dirt and, you know, gross stuff. Would you want to drink water out of that cup at all? No. No, you wouldn't. It, it's filthy. It's disgusting. But if you had this cup, you know, it's slightly dirty on the outside. It had some dirt on the outside, but the inside of it was clean, you'd be willing to drink out of it because the inside was clean where the water was coming out of. That's what these Pharisees are. But whenever Jesus says... First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. It's an invitation to us to let Jesus into our hearts first before worrying about what everyone else sees out here. And let this be healed. Let this be cleaned. Let us repent and then believe in Christ. And then the outside will follow suit. The outside will fall into place. Jesus will put things into our life that we need that are from him and not from us trying to represent ourselves in this holy, holier than thou, or hey, I have it all figured out, look at me manner, right? And we have three points to take away from all of this today. And the first point is your religious activity can't replace a relationship with God. Just like these Pharisees of doing all the right things, right, the right things, saying all the right words, flaunting their robes, flaunting their positions, their jewelry. Did they ever actually show fruit of the Spirit through anything that they did throughout this testament, in the New Testament at all? No, they didn't. And no matter the amount of small groups that we go to, no matter the amount of church services that we go to, no matter the amount of, Lord, thank you for this food that we say, it will never replace a true, authentic relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want our false sacrifices. He doesn't want our false words. He wants our heart. And that's what we have to give to him. And our second point, your lifestyle change will show your true spiritual condition. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, salvation is not by actions or works, and that is true. It is not. It is by true belief, repentance, and pursuit of our Lord and Savior. But we are called to produce fruit through our salvation. In Matthew chapter 7, 17 through 20, this is also not in the notes. You know, I have like three pieces of scripture that aren't in the notes. So you're more than welcome to turn there with me, but I'm going to read it to you. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, this is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking to them about true and false prophets, right? And he says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. People recognize us by our actions and what we do more than what we tell them and what we say about ourselves to them. You know, if I went up to you and I said, hey, man, I'm a Christian, you know, I love Jesus, but then I went out and, you know, I'm partying, you know, getting drunk in Seville every Thursday night, you might go, well, hang on a second, that's not very Christ-like of him, and that's exactly my point. We can say that we're Christians all that we want, but if our actions and our fruit don't reflect that we believe in Jesus Christ, then it's all for nothing saying that to people. And, you know, this is actually kind of funny. It comes back to the gym. There's an instance in the gym where I was working out, and I was just doing my thing, and this guy comes up to me. I had just done a certain movement, and I was hoping I was doing it properly. So a guy comes up to me, and he goes, hey, man, you know, I've never seen that before. You really taught me something. I've never spoken to this guy before, even during this workout, before he ever came up to me and spoke to me. He said, you really taught me something by doing that movement. I'd never tried that before. And that, I went home and talked to my dad, and my dad goes, that son is a lesson in itself. You had never spoken to this man before. You had never said anything to him, but all you did was do something properly, and you did it correctly. And he saw that, and he learned from it. So oftentimes, whenever we're out in public, wherever we are, people can learn more from us by just what we do instead of by what we say. And then our last point, acting holy does not make you holy. Again, the Pharisees. They acted so holy and like they were so high and mighty, but in reality, they just, they were whitewashed tombs. Later on in um, chapter 23, after verses 25 through 26, Jesus goes on roasting them. He calls them whitewashed tombs and uh, <laughs> full of dead man's bones. They have these corpses on the inside. And oftentimes we can find ourselves having corpses on the inside as well because we're trying to be something that we're not. But we're called to be holy, right, to be set apart as Christians in everything that we do. And First Peter, this is the last one that's not on your notes, I swear. So, you know, you, all this flipping around and making you do, oh, Seth, I thought you said we were only one chapter. I'm sorry. So in First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. The verse before, verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Be set apart in all that you do. In this world, a lot of people are living their lives according to their own desires and sinful, sinful ways. Not saying that we aren't sinful by any means. I mean, heck, I'm just as sinful as the next person. I'm, I'm terrible. So, but the thing is, it's called pursuing being holy, the pursuit of holiness. We will never reach God's perfect standard of holiness because that was Jesus Christ, right? The perfect man, the perfect holy son, 
we can never reach that, but we can always pursue it. And that's what we're called to do. We're called, pers- <laughs> called to pursue a life to be set apart from those here that are pursuing sinful desires. And the one question I want to ask y'all before I get off is just think about after everything I've said, where are we not living authentically in our life? Where are we putting on that facade that we're better than my coworker, that we're better than my brother or sister, that we have it all figured out? Or, you know, I'm showing up to small group with Ellis, Dante, all my high school guys, and I'm going, no, I'm not struggling with anything, even though they know that I do struggle with things. I, I tell them all the time. Um, but where are we not being honest with people? Where are we not looking at them and going, hey, I'm struggling with this. Just imagine a community in which we could go up to each other and go, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with alcohol again. And first off, we don't judge them for coming to us and saying that, that we welcome that and we go, well, let's look to God for this and welcome them in prayer and scripture. And then just where we feel comfortable or even in our relationship with God, God, I'm struggling with this, I need you to take it, and not trying to bear the burden all by yourself, because our shoulders are not big enough to carry those burdens, but you know whose shoulders are? God's, and that's who we need to give it to. So, with all that to say, I'm going to end in prayer with y'all, and you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed the weeks leading up to this, that people would hear what they needed to hear through this, that God would speak through me, And again, my prayer is that some of y'all out here needed to hear this message and that God picked this topic to be spoken to y'all at the perfect time and to just let it inside of your hearts and let Jesus inside of your hearts if you never have. It is the most wonderful decision you could ever make. It is the most wonderful decision I have ever made from being a life stuck in sin and now it's in a life stuck in praising the one and only King. And I couldn't be happier that I made that decision. So if you could just bow your heads with me and we'll finish out in prayer.